Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs dropped two points at home on Saturday night against Red Bull New York in a 1-1 draw. Gustavo Bo scored his third goal of the season, uh, which leads the team in scoring uh, his 12th goal in his New England Revolution career. But unfortunately, the Revs were not able to bag a second goal and bag a winner despite a flurry of shots and a flurry of chances in the closing minutes and stoppage time. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? Doing doing pretty well. I mean, I think I could have used a few Red Bulls after that game to make sure I was awake for this because the, the kickoff time was supposed to be what eight, and it started at like eight thirty, and then I think the the revs waited another half an hour to decide to start playing. So uh, it was a not not the most exciting Saturday night game. No, and you know that that's kind of the downside to having a national TV game. We finally get our team on national TV, and then we get a kickoff time twenty four minutes or twenty five minutes um, past when we're supposed to uh, see actual kickoff. Uh, and it, and it kind of is rough for you and me because we're starting this at 11 o'clock at night, uh, and neither of us are particularly uh, night owls, I would say. So um, hopefully, hopefully we won't stay up too late tonight, and hopefully we're able to get this up at a reasonable hour. But um, FS1 certainly didn't help. Um, Sean, frustrating night for the Revs again. Offensive struggles have kind of hurt this team once again. Again, they settle for a draw in a game they probably should have gotten a win, uh, especially with eight changes to the starting 11 for the um, New York Red Bulls starting lineup. Um, what was your key takeaway from tonight's match? Yeah, it's, it's something we've touched on before, but I don't think it's been my key to, to a match before. But my takeaway from this one is just the kind of with the, with the substitutions um, that the revolution under Bruce Arena and Richie Williams seem to be really hesitant to go to their bench uh, in a timely fashion, you know, around the 60th minute, you could tell that these were, you know, this was a revolution team where a lot of guys had played 90 minutes in three straight games and over a short period of time. Um, and I, I thought there was a lack of urgency from the team. They're playing a Red Bull side that uh, really was kind of a Red Bulls B team with how many guys had changed. The Red Bulls had swapped out eight guys from their starting lineup and it was not their best lineup. This was absolutely a game where the revolution needed to go into, you know, going for three points and, you know, got around the 60th minute mark. And I don't think there was enough urgency from the revolution. Um, and then, you know, Finally, they made subs in the 72nd minute. You know, and again, you can make five substitutions now under the current rules, but the Revs waited till the, the 72nd minute to make their subs. Uh, and the subs to me in the 72nd minute almost seemed like planned subs. You know, it was Matt Polster going out of the game, um, it, you know, and, and Tommy McNamara and Kellen Rowe coming in and Adam Buxa going out as well. And I think that was, you know, mostly because Polster and, and Buxa have, you know, been among the guys that have played a lot of minutes. And Polster in particular is, you know, someone that hadn't played a competitive match since March. And I don't believe. I don't believe Matt Polster had played back-to-back 90-minute games since he was with the Chicago Fire in MLS. So it's been a long time since Matt Polster had played back-to-back 90-minute games. I didn't think he was going to play 90 minutes again in this one. And you know that sub to me seemed kind of planned ahead of time um, rather than dictated by the flow of the game. And, you know... It, it, on a Revolution bench where you have a lot of guys that can be game changers, Kukuda Mane um, was available for his first appearance. He didn't he didn't make an appearance. He was available for his first appearance. Buchanan, uh, Dewan Jones, two guys that are you know add a lot of pace and didn't come on until very very late in the game. Um, you know it was very surprising to me that they didn't make those subs. And you could tell too in that game that the Revolution you know if they were going to get another goal, it was probably going to come by you know using some pace and playing a long ball over the back. Uh, Christian Pania had opportunities where you know Matt Turner would play a long goal kick and he would beat the defender and, and he won a corner kick that way. Um, the goal the Revolution scored again was kind of a, a long ball to to spring Teal Bunbury behind the defense. And when you have guys like that that can add a lot of pace off the bench, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to bring them in. Um, and you know, to wait until the 72nd minute and then kind of go to your more methodical uh, skill players and your pace players and then wait until the 
83rd minute to bring Jones on and the 87th minute to bring Buchanan on and, you know, leave Kakuta Mane um, on the bench. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, um, especially when you're playing all these tight games in quick succession. And, you know, guys didn't have a full preseason. Guys keep having a month off between stretches of games. I, I just don't understand the hesitancy to you know, bring subs off sooner uh, and, you know, both for for rest purposes and to change the pace of the game. Because to me, the revolution looked really, really good at the end of this game when Dewan Jones and Tejon Buchanan came on. Those two guys kind of sparked the game to life. Uh, but why do you wait till the 83rd, 87th minute to kind of bring those pace guys on? It was, it was too little too late for me. Yeah, and you mentioned Mane not coming on. It also should be noted that the Revs were allowed to use five subs. They ended up using four, so they ended up essentially kicking one sub to the curb instead of putting Mene in. So uh, I wonder if he's still getting acclimated with the team. Um, I, I wonder if they prefer Tayon Buchanan over Mene, which I can't imagine. Um, I made my thoughts on Tayon Buchanan quite clear two weeks ago, and then I said I didn't want to see him in a tie game the rest of the season, and it only took two weeks for that to uh, completely not come true. Uh, but not that Tayon did anything wrong today. I th- actually thought he looked pretty good today. It was one of his better performances we've seen um, uh, Tayon uh, this season. Um, so I, I'm not going to complain too too much about that. But the fact that he got the call instead of Mene, um, that was a real head-scratcher to me. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. You would have thought Mene would have fit in this game perfectly. And maybe if you put in Tayon in for Diego, I mean, maybe Mene for, I don't know, Teal or, or you know... I don't know. I, I'm surprised. And I'd like to say maybe he's not, you know, practiced with the team enough, but McNamara came in uh, and he looked fine. He, he wasn't, you know, the centerpiece of the offense, but um, he seemed to get in some dangerous positions and, and put a lot of pressure on the, the, uh, the Red Bulls and, and almost had a, a really nice uh, chance there um, where he's kind of streaking into the box. And I forget who the defender is, but basically just kicks it out for a corner kick because he knows McNamara is about to take the ball from him. So um, he, he basically forced a corner kick there. So I, I saw some good things from McNamara and, I don't know. I don't really buy the excuse that Mene's not acclimated with the team. I mean, maybe that's the case, but um, it's a real head scratch for me to these subs, as you said. Um, and, and it kind of gets to my takeaway, too, because one of the subs that came off in the 73rd minute was Adam Buxa. Um, he, he, again, does not find the back of the net today. He is now two goals uh, through nine games to start his revolution career. And you kind of alluded to this, that this might have been a planned substitution. Um, you know, he, he's pretty much gone 90 minutes since the restart. So this would have been his third game in however many days. Uh, goes back to last Thursday. So what is that? Nine days? Third game in nine days? So asking Adam Books to go a full 90 days uh, in this kind of choppy season in, in which he's struggling and the season's on, the season's off and, and whatnot. Um, it's a bit of a tough task, and you're right. I, I think that might be a planned substitution, but it's still weird to see a designated player striker who is supposed to be bagging goals for you left and right come off the, the field um, in the last 20 minutes of a game where you're the superior team uh, and you're about to you know kind of ramp up on offense uh, and kind of push forward for your game-winning goal and you're, you're taking off a designated player. Um, it's just kind of how his season has gone, and um, you know I, I thought it was another game where he was mostly ineffective. Um, that's that's my key takeaway. Uh, another struggling night for Adam Buxa, and yeah, I mean, th- there's not much more to say. Um, just the concerns are just continue to grow. Yeah, and I, I can't disagree at all there either. I thought you know this game in particular was a tough one for Adam Buxa. Um, you know, he, he he had his chances. There was some good service into him. Um, he you know he had some some crosses that found his way to him, and it, it, you know he put the shots on frame, but they weren't good enough. Um, and you know he's under a microscope right now because he is that designated player forward, and he hasn't been scoring the goals. Um, so you feel a little bit bad for him in that sense I think you know one goal could could change his confidence and, and be good for him but um, you know there were still several plays in this game where he was too indecisive held the ball too long waited too long to make the pass um, I think you could say that about you know a couple of guys in the revolutions offense in this game um, but yeah no an- another disappointment uh, from Adam Buxa and it was you know very interesting to see Taylor Twalman um, who you know for those that have been following the revolution know he for a long time know that you know Twelman kind of set the standard for revolution strikers um, you know obviously the greatest revolution striker of all time um, so it was interesting to see him in this game tweet out, you know, where is Adam Buxa? Um, and obviously not in a, in a, in a positive way. So, um, you know, to, to have the revolution's legendary striker notice too, that Adam Buxa is not you know, doing enough is you know, kind of, kind of interesting and meaningful. 
And Matt Doyle tweeted out that Adam Buxa has Matt Doyle speed, and that's not a good thing for the revolution. So, I, I mean, maybe Matt Doyle is faster than we all think, but I didn't necessarily think that was a compliment for Adam Buxa. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he just does not look like he fits in with his team as well. There was a couple of plays, too, right before he came off, where he seemed to almost get in the way with Christian Panea, and they, they couldn't figure out um, – you know, how to connect. And, and, you know, there was one play where Bootner swings the ball into Pania uh, and Pania's in the center of the field. And Buxa looks like he's about to run and he stops. Like he doesn't know where to go or he, he didn't seem on the same page there. Um, so, and I know a couple of day, games ago, we talked about Tanya Buchanan and Buxa kind of making the same runs and not playing well off of each other. So um, it, it might be an issue of, um, you know, he still needs time to gel. I mean, we're nine games in, you know, in a regular season, that's a quarter of the way through the season. Um, so you, you kind of hope that at this point you, you kind of iron those things out. But um, another frustrating night from Adam Buxa. Um, I, I think his next goal is going to really be telling how he responds uh, and he gets a little bit of confidence back because right now he just doesn't seem to know, you know, where where he's going and, and what he's doing. And, and, and you know, the Brandon by cross, Brandon by sends a low cross through. It just misses the foot of Teal Bunbury. It just misses the foot of um, Gustavo Bo. You got to wonder where is your designated player striker who is, you know, supposed to be um, on that kind of front line is supposed to get towards the end of crosses. Um, you have two players that are kind of making runs and neither of them are the guy you expect them to be. Um, it's not, not good uh, overall. Um, he did have a stat-wise, he, he had an okay night. He had two shots, both of them on target. He was 9 for 12 passing, 75%, uh, 3 for 3 in the attacking third. Um, so when he was involved, 2 for 3 on take-ons, 2 ball recoveries, um, 1 for 3 on aerial duels, which is where you kind of hope he uh, does thrive. Um, and he had two headed clearances. I assume those are off of set pieces. Um, that's according to stat zone. So, um, you know, in the limited time he, he did have the ball or, or he was involved, you know, stats, he, he did okay, but just not making an overall impact of the game. Uh, in the game for 73 minutes, had 22 touches. Um, so not not really what you would want from your um, a, a key striker, designated player striker when you're struggling to find goals. Uh, one guy who did yeah, find I mean, back. You, you th- it's, it's okay if you have a striker that, you know, finishes a game with, you know, 22 touches, if he's, you know, scoring two or three goals with those touches, but, um, you know, or, or one goal with those touches, I should say. Um, but, you know, it's been the the case for Adam Buxa where he hasn't been that involved in, in several games now um, where his touches have been low and he hasn't been finding the back of the net um, and if you're a designated player you got to be contributing in some ways and you know a, a clinical finisher um, that takes those two chances he has and puts at least one of those away nobody's complaining that he had 22 touches but um, it's just been you know, far too many games since he scored um, and far too many games where he you know hasn't been that involved touches wise and hasn't been that involved in, in the offense other than, you know, a couple chances that he's had and then he hasn't done enough with those chances. So, you know, if you're that striker, that's you know not going to be heavily involved outside of finishing, that's fine, but you actually have to finish. Yeah. And yeah, if he's getting touches in the box or in the attacking third, it'd be one thing. I don't have stats on where all these touches were, but it feels like he's doing a lot of coming for the ball, holding up, waiting for people to go past and then, and then kind of sending it back to a pollster or a bootner and, and having them connect with someone who, who's run up. Um, I will describe this as well as I can, but uh, if you look at the stat zone influence chart, uh, which kind of indicates where players are throughout the, the um, time of the game, um, Adam Buxa, his, he's, his name is very small and it's directly in the center of the pitch. Uh, so you would expect your striker or your forward to be in the attacking third. Um, he is very much in the center of the field in that center circle, whereas Gustavo Bo is up ahead. Pania, Bunbury, even Brandon Bay is further along in the attacking field um, compared to uh, Adam Buxa. So not, not really what you want to see overall. Um, well, well, did... it, it, just quickly, because it's, it's, when you mentioned the passing stat, it's, it's interesting to note that I believe two of his nine passes that were successful were kickoffs. Yeah, there you go. Hey, you know what? Pad those stats. Yeah. (laughs) But just putting that in context. All right, third time's a charm. I think I can move on to Gustavo Bo now. Uh, (laughs) One guy who did score is Gustavo Bo. It was a tap-in from Teal Bunbury. Uh, Teal Bunbury and Christian Pena really did make the play, but Gustavo Bo did have a rocket off of the post uh, in the second half of the game. Almost had his first career brace with the Revs, but ended up just having the tap-in for his third goal of the year, his 12th. Uh, of the of his revolution uh, career, and he scored in back-to-back games for the first time this season after going uh, one for seven, one goal in seven, his first seven games with the Revs. So um, nice to see Gustavo Bo on the stat sheet. Uh, Sean, what did you think of Gustavo Bo tonight? Yeah, and he and he had three key passes as well. So he was he was pretty active. Um, at the same time, if you if you look at his passing chart, uh, it's very ugly. He was 15 of 29 and passes for 51.7 um, percent. You know, we've talked before about how. 
when he's kind of forced to play more of a creator. He, he can do it, but it's, it's not a strong suit. But it, w- it wasn't a good night for him passing-wise. Uh, but at the same time, he, you know, he still created three chances. He still had that goal. He still had that shot off the post. Um, but to, for me, it was kind of a mixed performance uh, from him. I think he was named man of the match at the end. I don't know if I would have given that to him. But, um, you know, he was in the right place at the right time for that goal. He made a good run. Um, he looked dangerous throughout, but uh, not as sharp as you would like him to be overall. Yeah, it's one of those those games where, you know, kind of like with Buxer, you can say, well, the stats aren't terrible, but you can tell he didn't have that much of an impact to the game. Both stats aren't really that good, um, but he, he had a, a pretty huge impact on the game. Uh, four shots, two of them on target, uh, one off of the post. As he said, a 52% uh, pass completion rate. He was 10 for 20 in the attacking third, two for seven in the attacking area. Um, but he did still, he still created two uh, chances. Um, and, he, and obviously he had that goal, that nice run kind of at the end. Um, also he had, I don't know, like a billion offsides calls in the first half. Um, they, they kept hitting him with the offside trap to the point where I thought, uh, um, he might've been offside on the, the Bunbury calls, kind of just waiting for the flag to go up or them to go to VAR. But, uh, he, he, I guess that was clean. Um, four for 10 on take-ons for Gustavo Bo, only one ball recovery. Um, so yeah, a, a mixed bag tonight. Um, but still, you know, with Gustavo Bo, you know, he, he's going to unlaunch, unlaunch, going to launch some rockets and um you know if one of them goes in it changes the outcome of the game and that's what happened tonight so well and, and he attempted he attempted 12 forward passes and only completed three of them so yeah yeah i mean not not great he's not a guy you want as your 10 uh real quick too i i just think we got to give a lot of credit to teal bunbury and christian pinia um christian pinia with that really nice uh, kind of long uh, cross pass to Teal Bunbury, who ran it the entire length of the field, or, or you know, pretty much, and then slides it across to Gustavo Bo. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts real quick on Christian Pena, and he's kind of been playing that kind of central attacking role. They've kind of moved Bo to more of a free roaming type of role, which I think fits him a little bit better. But Christian Pena, they're kind of fitting a square peg into a round hole, round hole uh, in the center of the field. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Christian Pena and how well he's been doing uh, making that adjustment. I mean, he's been doing okay. I think it's it's been adequate in that role, and I think it's kind of worked better than what they were trying before. Um, but he's still Christian Pena. He's a guy that you know has those brilliant moments. He had that fantastic pass to you know Teal Bunbury to spring him forward for that what led to that goal. Uh, later on in the game, there was a long ball from Matt Turner where he fought with the defender, got behind him, um, and I think you know basically was surrounded by four or five guys and ended up winning a corner kick out of it when he didn't really have any help. Um, so you know he's good for some really good plays in the game. He's a guy that can be a game changer. You know, it all takes him as, as one chance to to kind of create that play and, and score the goal or assist the goal. Um, but he's not he's not going to be the guy that you know has seventy touches in the game. And is you know creating all sorts of chances throughout. He's a guy that's going to appear at certain moments, key moments, and and make key plays. Um, but again, you know, like like you said, he's he's kind of a square peg in a round hole. He's not he's not your number ten. Um, he can he can play that role in kind of a, a counterattacking system. But especially in a game like this one where the Revolution had so much possession, um, you know, yes, he had some really good moments. But also, I think he you know, wasn't as involved as you'd necessarily like to see somebody playing that role be. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, so I'm not going to, uh, you know, re- repeat it at length. But, um, yeah, he seems to lack the decision-making, too, at times. Um, there have been so many times where he just has the ball at his feet and he can't really decide where he goes and he just gets around and they take the ball off him. So, hopefully, I, I do see the potential of him kind of growing into that role over time uh, and his vision kind of increasing the more and more he plays it. But um, I think this setup is a little bit better than what they were going with before, and I, I kind of like the diamond so far. So, ho- hopefully, there's some improvement on that end. Um Going back to the back line, now that we've kind of talked about Bo's goal and kind of the offensive side, I thought this was a really bad game from the defensive side. I know they only conceded once, but Matt Turner had two one-on-one chances very, very early in the game. Um, the second one was really troubling because Andrew Farrell turns the ball over. Red Bulls intercept, long ball. Um, Henry Kessler does a really, really nice job keeping the guy in front of him, forcing him to one side, and it's it's really a simple save for, for Matt Turner um, at the end of the day. That was around the 17th minute. Um, but there, there were a few, you know, bad spots throughout the game at one point uh henry kessler loses the ball out for a throw and um kind of in a you know nba kind of blocking a throw in type of way kind of stands by the sideline to uh try to distract the guy throwing the ball and then the ball's thrown in over dewan jones's head and there's a guy in the center of the field where henry kessler should be and he takes the ball in and thankfully dewan jones and his speed is able to kind of defuse the situation put it out for a corner but uh, that was not a good look um sean what, what was your thought on the the back line and the defensive performance uh, overall tonight yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think that this was not a you know particularly good performance from the back line. The scoreline I think was flattering on them. Um, you know, 
if, if this was a Red Bulls team that had Bradley Wright Phillips instead of, you know, kind of the, the, the younger strikers up top that, you know, aren't as prolific, I think we might have seen a very different scoreline. Um, there were a lot of chances for New York in this one. You know, the Revolution had possession and really struggled on the press when when they turned the ball over. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Andrew Fowle had some some sloppy moments in this game. Henry Kessler had some really good moments in this game, but also had some, you know, maybe rookie moves. And I, I that throw in particular was one where you could kind of tell it was going to come to bite him when he was kind of jumping up in front of the, the throw the throw and taker to, to try to distract the throw rather than getting back to where he needed to be on defense there. Um, but I, I think overall the defense is very lucky they didn't give up more than they did. Um, you know, on, on the flip side, I think the fullbacks too didn't have great games. They were they were pushed forward a lot. Um, but Bootner in particular, I thought was really shut down getting forward. Um, he, you know, he's a guy that when he has had space and opportunity to send a cross into the box has, has been able to do that well. Um, but he only had one outside of the corner kicks. He only had one cross attempt in this game. Um, so, you know, overall, I don't think it was a, a great night for the back four. Yeah. And I, is, this was not Andrew Farrell's best game. I, I, we've been praising Andrew Farrell for a while. Uh, or, or at least we thought he's done very well since moving to center back last year. But, um, you know, I mentioned that feral turnover in the 17th minute. He also had a moment in the 78th minute where there's kind of a low cross and Farrell kind of tries to clear it out, but kind of just kicks it up in the air and it's recovered by the Red Bulls just outside of the box. And that was a bit dangerous. Um, and then in the 85th minute, there's one where he's trying to boot it long and he kind of just boots it up in the air and chases it down again and tries to boot it again, and turns that one over. And there, there's just some really kind of tough moments to watch from Andrew Farrell tonight. This was one of his, uh, I think, poorer games of, of the year. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of stats that back it up. Um, I mean, passing-wise, 77%, but, you know, he's a center back, so you're not going to really uh, learn too much from that. But uh, if you go to his who-score rating, uh, he had the worst who-score rating of all of the Revs players, not just uh, starters, outside of Tim Parker, who got the red card and had a 5.59 rating um, and one sub on the Red Bulls. Uh, he had the lowest rating of the night with just a solid six, which is not not great for someone who goes a full ninety. So, um, and and Kessler too, you know, boy, he's really good. He, he's probably the best center back the Revs have had in twenty uh, fourteen. I can't think of anyone who, who's been a better center back than Hen- Henry Kessler from what I've seen so far. I'm very very impressed. But there are some moments where he's carrying the ball up the field. I know a few weeks ago uh, he had that play where. Um, I think he's, he passed it to someone in the center of the field, and it was intercepted, and there was kind of a fast break the other way, and Charlie Davies uh, gave him an earful uh, on Outside the Booth, uh, their new radio show on uh, Facebook and social media, um, you know, saying, you know, it's not a great look for a center back to be carrying the ball up the field and turning it over. Um, he had another play where he uh, carries the ball up the field, kind of passed back to Bootner, um, you know, he ends up getting the ball again, turns it over, and instead of running back and, and sprinting back, he kind of stays up to, to kind of block uh, the, the, the pass. And, you know, that can get broken. Um, so, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if we see a goal in one of these games where, you know, someone exploits that space where Henry Kessler should be and it turns into a goal or Matt Turner has to make an incredible save. Um, again, he's a rookie. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure he can get away with a lot kind of at the college level, but, um, so far, I don't know where I feel like he's playing with fire and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see, um, kind of a sloppy goal, uh, or a lucky goal from, from one of these revs opponents with Henry Kessler out of position. So overall, very talented. I'm not trying to take away from the Henry Kessler hype train or the Henry Kessler rookie of the year campaign at all. Uh, but I don't know. He makes me nervous. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm holding my breath. But I'd like to know what the communication was in that 29th minute chance too, when you know five foot nine, 20 year old Ben Mines had both Farrell and Kessler back there, um, and somehow snuck in between both of them to get on the end of that cross from Kaku. You know that that should have put the Revolution behind in the 29th minute. Uh, so it, it, there were several plays in this game where I think again that they were Revs were very lucky that the finishing from the Red Bulls wasn't better. Yeah, and, and that's a, another one to beat. I mean, he just flat out beats Andrew Farrell on a cross that it, you know you would expect Andrew Farrell to clear. So um, again, I'm not I'm not slamming the pan button on down on on Kessler and Farrell as the center back pairing. I don't think you need to make any rotation. I still am confident with those two, but um, sloppy work tonight from from Andrew Farrell. Um, I thought not his best performance. Uh, by a long shot and, and as I say Kessler he's getting away with a, a lot of risky stuff and I'm holding my breath so um, and, and it did actually I mean this wasn't their fault but the goal itself was pretty poor defense all the way around terrible that was awful defense um, and I mean things turned around from that point of the night and that was the 35th minute 
Um, so it's really the only the top third of the game. But that first third of the game, I mean, they were people were running all th- <laughs> people were running through them, and I mean that that not to say that Diego is uh, you know the best defensive player in the field, but I mean he just got walked around. Polster, you know, he's played pretty solid too. Um, he got kind of exposed a little bit on that one. Um, just some traffic cone defense that led to a really nice pass right between Kessler and Farrell and. You know, I don't know, poor all the way around. I'm not going to plant that one, any one specific player, but just uh, not a good look for the defense tonight. And even though there was only one goal, um, you know, I, I not great defense and I got a lot of problems with um, how they uh, how they played tonight. Yeah, that, that was just terrible. And that was off a throw in, too. So, like, they had time to be set up. There was no no excuse for that goal. It was way too easy. If one of those guys step up and make the play, it's not even remotely close to a goal, but, you know, I, I, they showed the replay on Fox Sports 1. I mean, there's four or five guys surrounding the ball on, on that pass that splits the defense, so not not great defense tonight. It got a little bit better as time went on, um, but, again, this is the Red Bulls' B team, uh, and you, you expect a lot better. And, yeah, if Bradley Wright Phillips is on this team. They're, they're not conceding one. They're conceding multiple goals. No, but that's, that's a huge point you make, though. This is a terrible Red Bulls team. This is, this is, this is a Red Bulls team that... You know, uh, overall is nowhere near as good as Red Bulls teams of, of years past, but also a Red Bulls team that was resting a lot of their key guys. Um, so, you know, it, it, uh, give the Rebs a lot of credit for getting that win, you know, over DC United on Tuesday. But that's a very bad DC United team. And this is a Red Bulls team that's not very good and was even worse with the lineup they put out there. So, you know, it, it was two performances where the revolution looked good um, for, for a lot of them. But you, you have to re- recognize that both of these games are against teams that aren't very good. Absolutely. And if you can, if you include the play at the end that I described where uh, Henry Kessler's out of position for the throw in and Juan Jones kind of comes in and pushes out for a corner, it looked like Red Bulls was, you know, whoever that was, I forget who, who did that, it looked like they were trying to draw a foul, um, which was a very weak attempt. It wasn't fooling anyone. But, I mean, if you include that play, there were four chances where uh, an attacking player was one-on-one with Matt Turner. In the third minute, right at the start of the game, Matt Turner had a one-on-one save. It was a simple save, but still, you know, defense let him down. Andrew Farrell turns the ball over in the 17th minute. One on, you know, Kessler is there to kind of carry guy onto a to the near side, but still one-on-one could have easily, if it was a better place shot, that could have been a goal. Um, you know, the goal itself in the 35th minute, you know, broke through one-on-one chance. Matt Turner didn't have a shot. And then, as I say, at the end of the game there, if he decides to take a shot and it's well-placed, that could very easily have been a 2-1 loss. So um, not a great not a great performance from the defense. We did get a question during the game uh, about Brandon Bice crossing, which I know we've talked about a lot about, but I think it's kind of worth noting here because he went two for seven on crosses tonight. Most of those, I think two or three of them were kind of late in the game, just kind of what the hell crosses. Um, so I, I think that's why that number looks worse than it is. But um, he was two for four in the first half, uh, created two chances, both of them off of those crosses. He, he went a bit cold. I know we praised him a lot uh, for improving his crossing earlier in the season, um, but I, I forget the stat. I looked it up, but I think he went like, I don't know, 10%, like two for 20 or something like that uh, between the MLS's back tournament and the first two games of the restart. Um, a little bit more promising tonight, but I just want to get your thoughts on Brandon Bay's crossing abilities uh, and where you stand if he is more of the same from what we've seen in years past or if he's genuinely improved. Well, and to, to give some context to that question, I remember it came in and I think the, the next minute, Brandon Bay had a great cross to Adam Buxo that it, you know, headed on frame. Um, so I think that, that, that comment was the, kind of the curse of the commentators and leading Brandon Bay to have a great cross but uh, you know I think at the beginning of the season we were both talking about how improved Brandon Bay was at his crossing um, I don't think either of us were particularly high on Brandon Bay um, in years past but I think I think both of us in the seasons kind of saw a dramatic improvement in his crossing at the beginning of the season and under Bruce Arena in general um, but yeah you know I, I had seen a, a kind of tail off a bit in recent games but I thought tonight he was good um, you know you mentioned the two for seven stat I think you know both of those successful crosses were to Buxa and you know, perhaps should have been put away. Um, but there were other ch- crosses too. The, the, the two for seven stat and crossing can be a bit deceptive um, because you know if there's a striker that's you know an inch away from a cross and putting it home, you know that counts as an unsuccessful cross if it ends up as a defender. And there was that play late in the game where I think it was you know Teal Bunbury was maybe an inch away from you know was lunging towards a cross from Brandon By that was really dangerous um, and didn't get to it. Uh, but, you know, that goes down as an unsuccessful cross when really that was a good cross. Um, I thought Brandon Bay had a good night crossing. I think, you know, as always, I think his overall passing, you know, leaves something to be desired. Um, but I thought he had a good night crossing. And I think, you know, that's been an improvement for him this season, despite what we've seen in the past few games. Um, but with that said, 
I, I do think when Carly's heel is out there, it draws a lot more attention away from Brandon by and gives Brandon by a lot more space. You know, I, I don't think Brandon by is a guy that's necessarily going to, you know, beat a guy in the dribble and send it across. I think he's a guy that kind of needs space to put in a good cross. And I think that's what you saw tonight when he had the space to put in a cross, he did put in a good cross when there was, you know, a defender within a couple feet of him. Um, you know, he didn't beat that defender. His cross was blocked. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's been good enough for the revolution this year at that position to, to keep playing there. And I think his crossing ability has improved. I think his defense has improved, too. I know we're talking specifically on yeah. crossing, but he, he's made some very good uh, defensive plays, and he's very good in the air. And so I'm a little surprised, because I think Bootner is still a better crosser than Brandon By. I'm surprised they don't try to push the ball up the left side of the offense more and have Bootner being the primary crosser, so to speak. Um, but for whatever reason, Brandon By is getting his chances. Maybe it's a uh, an opponent's strategy to kind of give them the space and, and force Brandon By to make a play. Um, but... I don't know. I, I do think that there's been some modest improvements, uh, but it's still a bit of a work in progress for Brandon By. And tonight was a little bit more promising. I think when he puts the ball in the air, uh, it's a lot better. His, his low crosses seem to be just driven into opponents. Um, but yep. yeah, um, let's get to some Twitter uh, questions. Uh, we have some coming in, so we'll get some actual natural reactions here. Uh, <laughs> which Mocha asks us, what's this team ceiling with heel back and healthy and Buxa living up to expectations? Do you think this back line with Polster providing support at central defensive, mid- at central defensive midfield is MLS Cup material? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I don't know what Buxa expectations are at this point. Um, but, you know, <laughs> ignoring that, I, I think Polster has been great for the revolution. Um, I think you have some concerns with, with his health. Um, and, you know, again, he hasn't played a lot of minutes in the past few years. He has a guy that he has a guy that's had, you know, knee injury history and in playing on turf. But, you know, if he stays healthy, if he stays fit, um, I think he's a very good acquisition by the revolution from what we've seen so far. Um, you know, is he a Jermaine Jones and far as how can he influence how he can influence the game from there or Shari Joseph from, you know, no, he's not going to have the influence on the game from the center of a park that, you know, Shari Joseph or Jermaine Jones has. Um, I still do think that that's the position where if the revolution were really going to put themselves over the top that you, you kind of want to find one of those guys. They're not easy to find. Um, but, you know, if everyone was healthy, if Carlos Hill was healthy, if Matt Polster was healthy, if Adam Buxo was maybe getting you, I mean, I'm again, I don't know what the expectations are, but let's say Adam Buxa was a guy capable of getting you, you know, 12, 13 goals a season. Um, then I think this is a team that's capable of being right up there near the top and challenging for a championship the way they're playing. Um, you know, they, they need Carly's heel in there to, to spark that offense to life and to, you know, win them games like today. Um, but with Carly's heel out there and with Adam Buxa gaining some confidence and scoring goals, if that were to happen, um, and Matt Polster being healthy, um, you know, I still do think they could afford to upgrade the, the central of the midfield despite that. Um, but I do think that's enough talent on the revolution to be a team that, you know, could compete with the top teams in the league. And, and you know, I don't think they'd be the favorite for MLS Cup, but I think they'd be a team that could realistically compete for it. Yeah, I mean, who who's the best team in the East right now? Who's the consensus best team? Is it Columbus? or Philly, who's the, there's no Atlanta United, you know, behemoth in the East. I mean, if Toronto's looking good again. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, but we, yeah, we, we were fine. I mean, we, I guess that was a bit of a, you know, we, we played our subs and they, they weren't taking it too seriously either, but we drew them in the MLS's back tournament. I don't know if you had Carly Seal, I, I think you're pushing towards the top of the Eastern conference standings. I, I, I certainly think this could be a top two or three team in the Eastern Conference innings. I, I certainly think if you had a healthy Carly's heel, you are in the running for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. But I don't think you're LAFC level. I, I still no. think – and it's hard to picture Books's ceiling with, you know, we're not really sure where he lands, if he's going to be a fit, um, if he's going to be a bust. Um, you know, I, I hate to use those terms nine games in, but it is hard to see how he fits with this team because we just haven't really seen it. I don't know if I'd go and say it's MLS Cup material, um, but I would say deep run the playoffs material. I think that's fair. Uh, we got a, a question from Chris Velucas. Uh McNamara looked good out there. Any chance he'll be ha- ahead of Diego on the depth chart? Uh, we also got a similar question um, from OZ, uh, OSZ19 on Discord. Is McNamara going to be best used as a sub or starter? So these kind of run together, Sean. Um, what do you think of McNamara tonight, and how do you see him being used going forward? I thought there was some promise from him tonight. I don't think he played enough minutes for me to get too much of a read on what he's going to offer for the team. Um, realistically, I think he certainly could end up getting more minutes than Diego Fagundes going forward. I think that's a you know that's a role that he could challenge for, and um, definitely could beat out Diego Fagundes. I thought Fagundes had a you know a decent game today. I thought he actually got better. 
um, as the game went on and kind of exploiting the, the kind of the long ball situations and playing balls over the top that were successful. You know, he played a role in the, the goal the Revolution scored. Um, but, you know, McNamara is a, an interesting player. He's not the fastest guy on the pitch, but he is a guy that can create chances with his creativity. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that was very successful in MLS a few years ago and maybe has been a little bit less successful recently. Um, you know, with Carly's heel out, I think McNamara is going to be a rotation guy. I do think he's going to start some games, um, and I think he's going to come off the bench in some other games. I don't expect him to be, you know, I, I don't expect him to be an, an everyday starter. I don't expect him to you know, usurp the role that Kellen Rowe has made for himself recently, even though he didn't start this game. I think that was more of a rotation thing. Um, but, you know, it's a very busy schedule. The Revolution are playing multiple games a week. Um, I think there's minutes for Tommy McNamara to start in there. I agree with everything you said, so I'm not going to go ahead and repeat it. I just want to uh, go back to Adam Buxa for a second because I think it's worth noting that someone posted on Reddit, uh, Rev's Reddit, the uh, Spider-Man meme where it's two Spider-Mans pointing at each other and it's uh, one Spider-Man is Adam Buxa and the other is Jerry Bengtson, um, which I think is... <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I got a laugh. I, was, I, I saw that and I started chuckling, so... Um, we did get another question. Uh, TSB11 says, what's the point of carrying Justin Rennicks on the bench if he's not going to play? If the Revs needed, uh, the Revs needed a goal and he has a proven record of goal scoring, see his goal against France. Uh, Sean, proven, proven goal scoring record, I guess not at the professional level yet, so I, I take that with a grain of salt. But yeah. certainly from the youth levels at college, um, in the international youth levels, um, he's certainly impressed. Um, I'm scratching my head about it. What's the point of having Justin Rennicks here? I mean, I think he needs to be loaned out somewhere. I don't, I don't know that I've seen his minutes have been way too limited to, you know, to, to draw a conclusion. But in those minutes, I don't know that I've seen enough from him to suggest he needs more minutes. Um, he, you know, he's, he's played 135 minutes for the revolution so far and has yet to put a shot on target. He's had some opportunities for the revs in his limited minutes where his, you know, finishing has let him down. Um, it's, it's harsh cause he's played so little. I think he needs to be loaned out somewhere and he needs to get regular minutes. But, uh, you know, I don't think you'd say he has a proven goal scoring record at the professional level yet. Certainly. And, you know, scoring a goal in the U 20 world cup is great. Um, but I don't think that's enough to all of a sudden go and say he's going to be, you know, a, a goal scorer in MLS. Um, I've, I, I think there's been some worrying signs from him and some of the games he's played where, again, his finishing hasn't been sharp enough. So um, very small sample size. I'd like to see him get loaned out somewhere and get more minutes. But um, I, I don't think I've seen enough from him to say that, you know, if the revolution need a goal late, he's the guy you want to bring on to, to try to be that goal scorer. Do you know how many, uh, I don't know if you have this in front of you, do you know how many appearances that is? Because I'm surprised he's played 136 minutes or whatever you said. To be honest with you, I would have had the, the over-under around 60 minutes. Well, that's over two seasons, but it's it's uh, six total appearances. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, I would have not have uh, pictured that. Um, he, he seems to only get five or ten minutes where he can't really make a, a big impact. But um, obviously what sticks out in everyone's mind is the Chicago game uh, where he skies that ball kind of over the, the bar. I think he was in the six-yard box, which, um, you know, you expect better from a finisher, but um, give him, you know, as I say, it's small sample size. It's one play, 135 minutes, not great. Um, I don't know. I, I'd like to see him on. I'm surprised I didn't. we didn't see him tonight uh, when you took off Buxa. Um, it looked like they kind of moved Bo into kind of just a striker role, but um, I don't know. I, I was a little surprised to see Buxa come off and not see Justin Rennox come on. Um, I see that as a troubling sign. I don't know if you want to comment on that at all, but um, it seems to me he's pretty buried underneath this depth chart. No, I think that's right. And, you know, again, I haven't seen enough to tell me that, you know, that's clearly the wrong decision. Um, these guys see him in practice every day. And I think there's there's reasons to question Bruce Arena. And um, as far as him, you know, giving young players opportunities, it's, it's not something that he has a very good history with. Um, but again, with Justin Rennicks, I, I don't know that we've seen enough to, to suggest he needs more minutes. Um, with the revs, I think he, I think he needs more minutes, absolutely somewhere else. But I don't know that we've seen enough to suggest that you know in a game tight game where the revolution need to bring a striker off the bench that he's he's ready for that role. Um, so it, it's a little bit troubling, but he's still very young, and he again the problem is he hasn't had enough professional minutes, and he's not on the revs two roster. And I, I would imagine revs two might be a little below uh, his level. But you you know I know the revs have previously said they they don't intend to loan anyone out to any USL championship sides. Uh, or anywhere else, they're going to keep it either between Revs and Revs 2. Uh, but still, you'd like to see him get some minutes and some development somewhere because it doesn't seem like it's going to be coming uh, from Revs 1. So, I mean, he, he got that he got that loan last year, too, to, to North Carolina FC, where I think, he played, I think he played 10 games and didn't score. Maybe he's just at the USL Championship level right now. And, you know, I, I know they said they don't want to 
you know, make any loans outside of Foxborough, but I mean, send them to Hartford or send them to Birmingham. I don't think Birmingham needs them right now because they're doing pretty well, but you know, send them back to North Carolina or Richmond or wherever. Um, if you're not going to play them at Revs two and apparently, I mean, I'm, I'm watching every Revs two game. Apparently Revs two has been having some issues, uh, with forwards and strikers up top. Uh, so, I mean, it seems like if they need a striker, Justin Rennox fits the bill. So I don't know. Uh, we did get a question from Cameron Young about Adam Buxa specifically. Is Buxa lacking in confidence or service? Multiple good chances uh, going forward were not passed to Buxa when he was in good positions, it seemed. Um, yeah, this is kind of a big debate. Uh, is Adam Buxa the problem or is it his service? Uh, what's your take on it, Sean? I mean, I, I think he had decent enough service in this game. He had at least two good opportunities. Um, and sometimes as a striker, you know, two good opportunities is, is you know, what you should expect. Um there's been a few games where maybe the service hasn't been good enough, but he's, he's had enough chances this season where he should have a lot more goals than he does. Um, so I, I think to me, I, I put most of it, I mean, I chuck some of it up to the service, but I would put most of that on the confidence. And I, I do think he's lacking in confidence. I think when he's been in a situation to, you know, even play a quick pass to somebody he has been too indecisive. Um, and, you know, we've seen that too many times where he's had an opportunity going forward and it's just taken too long on the ball and, and hasn't played it. Or he's had that shot and it's been right at the goalkeeper. Um, to me, it's a confidence thing more than anything else. Yeah. And, you know, when you're a DP, I mean, I don't know, he, he has gotten some chances. I know we didn't talk about specifically the, the, the D.C. United game, but uh, he had a play where, um, you know, the ball was kind of slid to him uh, and he kind of botched the touch and turned it over. Um, and you kind of expect better from that. I mean, as you say, when you get limited touches, um, you know, if you're a designated player and you're a target man, you, you expect those touches to be in dangerous areas uh, and you expect to make the most of them. Uh, and he's just not making the most of anything right now, whether it's his runs or whatnot. And it seems like with each game that goes by, it's either more of the same or getting worse because I feel like when he started this slump, you know, he was just a little bit off from a pass or he was beating one guy and, you know, um, it, it just seems like he's totally lost right now. So I, I think it might be a confidence thing too, but we'll see. We did get a question from David Sibillion. Uh, how good can this team be if they could score some goals? Um, I feel like we kind of touched on that already with Carly's heel and Adam Buxa. Um, that's similar to a question we already answered. So I, I'm just going to skip ahead uh, in the interest of time. A casual fan asks us, I actually think Pania has looked better in the middle than he was in the wing. He reminds me of that kid on your U10 team to whom you just gave an important assignment, suddenly has two times the energy in his game because he feels important. <laughs> Are you seeing any of that? Uh, we actually already kind of talked about Christian Pania, but that's an interesting comparison that he's kind of rejuvenated. Um, I haven't made that connection yet. If, what about you, Sean? No, I mean, I, I, he's in a role where he's asked to have more touches on the ball, for sure. Um, so he's getting more touches on the ball. Um, but I, I don't know that I've necessarily seen him change very much as a player. I think he's, again, like I talked about earlier, and I don't want to you know, beat a dead horse, still that same guy that, that has some really, really impressive moments in a game. And then, you know, kind of has more of a minor role at other times and you don't see as much of him. Um, but in the, you know, in the number 10 role, uh, you know, by, by definition, you're probably going to get more touches. Yeah. I think his, his new role too, we're just seeing him a little bit more, um, Whereas before he was kind of just on the wing and I don't know, I know, I know the knock on him from fans is that he's lazy or he's slow or uh, I don't know, but um, I mean, he, he does, I, I think part of what we're seeing is that they're doing a lot of long balls over the top and that's where Christian Pena thrives and chasing down a ball and one-on-one um, -on -one battles and whatnot and giving him a lot of space. Um, so I, I think that might be what um, he's seeing. He also adds, I'm, I'm well aware that is a minority view. A lot of folks are still saying P uh, Pena looks horrible no matter what. So <laughs> there's that too. Um, also asks, what are your thoughts on the Revs' decision to stand pat and not replace Carly's heel, given he is very much likely gone for the rest of the season? Uh, he seems pretty important to this team. I would say that's an understatement, and uh, I, I, I think we're reminded of that every single game. Um, Sean, do you want to touch on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we kind of touched on it in, in previous podcasts. I just don't know how you replace a guy like that with somebody that's, you know, even a fraction of that talent and, and can play that role um, without using a DP slot. Uh, I think it's more of a you know realization that you can't get another Carles heel, and if you lose Carles heel, you're gonna have to change the way you play because he's that important to the team. I I just don't know who has a guy lying around like that as a backup that can even do 50% of what Carles heel can do. Um, and I think you know Mane and McNamara kind of gave them options on how they can switch up how the team plays. Neither of those guys directly plays Carles heel at all, um, but kind of provide you more options on how you can play differently. Um, with them. And I think that's kind of the long-term plan without Carly's heel is to find ways to play differently. Like we've seen, you know, the past two games and the kind of the formation change. Um, but 
you know, I, I, I just don't think you know, we, we've had this conversation before where somebody's asked about, you know, having a backup really good goal scorer. And those just aren't that easy to find guys that can come off the bench and, you know, be top tier goal scorers or top tier playmakers and, and are willing to you know sit behind a Carly's heel or an Anna Buxa. Um, so I, I think it's just kind of a reality thing that you're not going to find that replacement. So let's find other guys that do different things that can kind of change the way we play while he's out. Yeah, I mean, if you were to, well, first off, Bruce Arena said no international acquisitions. They're likely out of the question just between um, all the restriction with uh, COVID-19. Um, you know, the transfer market is all sorts of messed up. Um, I imagine they're not prepared uh, in terms of the amount of scouting that they would have to do to find someone to base their entire offensive round. Um, if you're making an international signing, uh, as you said, it's probably a designated player signing, but maybe not. Uh, maybe it's just a TAM and international signing. Well, do you have the TAM? How long of a contract is it? Where is this guy going to fit with Carly Seal coming back next season? Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of a... You know, from a, a fan standpoint, you want to, re, you know, fig, you lose your best player. How are you going to replace them? Um, but it's not that that easy when you have limited resources, when you don't have a designated player spot, um, and when you're going to have to make a significant financial stake. Um, okay, so you can't make an international acquisition. I mean, how many players in MLS can replace Carlos Heel? I mean, he's a best MLS 11 player. Um, I mean, he's just got an immense talent and. Um, I don't know who you could find to replace him that's at his level um, that's also available. Um, you know, I knew I threw out Lee Wynn. Some other people had the, the same idea on, on Twitter. Um, yep. I mean, that, that's kind of who you'd be looking at because Lee Wynn's got a big salary attached to him. Um, he's not going to be an impact player, though. He's not going to be a, as great of a player. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know. It's You'd be taking on a lot of salary. Um, you might be taking on a big contract for for multiple years. I don't know what Lee Wynn's situation is, but um, a type of player like that, there are some some downsides. And another thing too is that you know, I'm sure in the back of the mind, you know, Bruce Arena is saying, do I want to handcuff myself and lose, you know, salary cap space next year, an international roster spot next year, allocation money I could use next year, um, for a season that might not finish. I mean, it's something that I think we, we assume it's going to finish out and play out, but we don't know where we're going to be in a couple of months, and, and things have kind of uh, been thrown off with coronavirus. And so, um, yeah, I, I it, it's a tough one. I don't blame the team for the way they went in getting Kakuta Mane um, and, and uh, Tommy McNamara, but um, in order to replace Carlos Hill, you'd have to give up a significant asset, um, and I don't think the Revs are really in a position to do that. Yeah, and I, I've heard I've heard the, the Lee Wen name thrown out two by other people and it, you know he's not an everyday player anymore he's in a month he turns 34 um he's struggling for minutes with miami when he was with lafc he was you know kind of playing every other game um you know he's a guy that could probably help the revolution right now um but i don't think he's enough to you know you know if you're playing him every other game you're still having to find a way to play without carly's heel and without a you know that number 10 in the other game so i, I don't know that that makes sense at this point and, and with everything you just said about this season and where they're going um i don't know that a move that like, like that makes a whole lot of sense uh, and another thing too is i'm surprised we didn't see diego fagundes try to step in for carly's heel but i, I as we've mentioned I, I don't think bruce arena thinks too highly of diego fagundes i know he got the start tonight um, but as I say, Diego Fagundes was kind of in that central midfielder play playmaker role before Carly Skill arrived. Um, I almost feel like that kind of would have, would have been more of a natural fit. Um, but they ended up going a, a different rate and kind of switching into the diamond, which, as I say, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, um, I think is, is working out um, pretty decently overall. Um, we got a question from Revolution Report. Thoughts on the new system? Uh, fullbacks way up, Pinia down the middle, uh, Polster dropping between center backs. Um, we already talked about Christian Finney in the middle a little bit. Um, and, and another thing, too, with this, this thoughts on the new system, I guess, is the formation change and kind of going with the diamond and Gustavo Bo kind of being a roaming second striker. Um, Sean, what are, what are your thoughts about the Revs' tactical adjustments in recent weeks? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think the fullbacks way up is much of a change from what they were doing before, but there certainly have been changes in what they've been doing with, you know, Pania and everything. And I think it's, you know, for the most part, worked better than what they were doing before without Carle's heel. Um, but, you know, go, going back to the point we made earlier, um, you know, DC United's not a good team. The Red Bulls team that the Revolution played, you know, on Saturday is, you know, was, they're not a very good team anymore. And the team that was out there was not their A team. So, um, 
it's hard for me to draw too many conclusions, but the the early signs are that this is better than what they were doing before, and I think they can grow into it. Um, you know, Matt Polster and the way he plays has made this much more possible. Um, so if he stays healthy, I think this is probably the way they go long term uh, with Carly's heel out. But I, I still would like to see them, you know, against a better opponent, use this formation and see how it works out. Um, and you know, again, this this was a Red Bulls team that the Revolution should have beaten. And I don't think that the draw at the end of the day was an unfair result. I think on the balance of play, that's probably what, what it should have been. No, I agree overall. And um, I think, too, I see a little bit of promise with this. I, I see some promise with Panini in the middle. Um, I, I, tonight was a, a positive uh, step for Brandon By and his crossing, I thought. Uh, and I think Tommy McNamara looked really good out there, too. I look forward to seeing what uh, Minet does on the wings, uh, assuming he kind of comes in as advertised. So um, I, I think the tactical adjustments are... Um, you know, catching up to, to where the Revs need to be uh, in a life post Carly's heel. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he does try to make a comeback this season. I can't imagine we see Carly's heel back in a Revs jersey in 2020. Um, I just don't think it would be, I mean, Achilles heel surgery is pretty rough. So I, I think this is kind of the, the tactics that they're going with. And hopefully we, we see some growth um, over the next few weeks. Honestly, rushing back Carly's heel seems like an absolutely terrible idea, given that you know, given he had that injury at the beginning of the season, it took forever to come back from, and he came back from, and then got injured again. Um, I I would think they've learned their lesson in, in rushing him back this season. You know, unless somehow the Revolution go on some deep run in the playoffs, and you have a chance to to go for a cup, which doesn't seem likely to me. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Yep, and again, who knows if we even finish out the se- the season with um, coronavirus? So. Um, that's it for Twitter questions. Um, if you sent in a Twitter question and you did not hear it, uh, apologies. You, you sent it in post-recording, so um, and you sent it in past our bedtime. It's ten to midnight right now, so you're a little late on the ball on that one. But uh, did have some news this week. Matt Turner, uh, some contract details came out uh, about his extension. Julian Cardillo um, from from Last Word on Soccer uh, mentioned uh, Matt Turner's contract details. Um, Two hundred thousand dollars is his base salary. There are some bonuses and incentives, which I imagine he will easily hurdle. Um, it's also noted that he is signed through 2023, or at least he, he's under team control. It's a, it was a four-year contract starting this season, so um, 2020 and 2021 are guaranteed years. Team options for 2022 and 2023, so the refs have team control for him um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, Sean, want to get your, your thoughts on this news on Matt Turner's contract and how it ties into him potentially leaving for Europe. I mean, it's great for the Revs. They have you know, kind of complete control over him for, you know, the next the rest of the season and, and three more years after that. So uh, if he is going to go to Europe, the Revolution are going to get a transfer fee for him. Um, and, you know, if he keeps playing like he is, I think Europe is certainly in his future. So um, but it, it's it's good news for the Revolution because, you know, if, if you have a guy that's contract is expiring in six months or, you know, even a year in six months, teams are more apt to maybe wait to get him on a free transfer. And then, you know, the revolution would get nothing out of that. But um, if, you know, if these contract details are true, uh, they're getting a bargain on what they're paying for Matt Turner and they have him under control for, you know, three more years after this. Uh, so certainly if a team wants him, they're going to have to pay a transfer fee. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a steal. Um, and I, I forgot to do my homework of going back to uh, when we talked about this extension. I know we had a discussion on how much we expected Matt Turner to make. Um, I'm going off of memory, but I, I'm pretty sure I was around the 300000 mark, um, or two fifty to 300000 uh, mark. So 200000 granted, um, that's without bonuses and incentives. And granted, that might go up in, in future seasons. Um, but still, it, it seems to me pretty low for the best keeper in the league. Um, I guess at the time, he had only... I mean, he signed this extension uh, roughly a year ago. It was mid-August 2019. So um, he really only had the 2018 season, about three-quarters of the season. And then he really only had about, what, a third of the second season uh, under Brad Friedel because he was benched to start the year. So I guess he was a little bit over a full season. I guess he still could have been in the um, the flash-in-the-pan territory. Um, But, you know, the Revs made a really, really... uh, They got kind of lucky with the timing of this. Uh, and, and the, uh, you know, getting call-ups right after he signs this extension. Um, I mean, the the Revs are only going to have to sell him if they really get a massive uh, off-the-charts off the uh, offer. And, and Julian Cardillo kind of mentioned that in his article. He said, you know, the Revs have control of them. Uh, transfer market's all messed up due to COVID. Um, and, you know, which Euro- what European team can't develop a keeper uh, or, or purchase a keeper at a reasonable price? Um, the Revs are 
you know, going to be asking for a, a ton of money. I think uh, Zach Steffen sold for $7 million. So that's kind of your price point. I mean, if you're the Revs, are you expecting anything under $5 million? I mean, what, what's your price tag for Matt Turner? I mean, you, you are in a position where you really don't need to sell him. And, you know, you can keep him. You can develop him uh, for the next few years. And, you know, if he's getting United States national call-ups, I think that's great from a PR perspective. I, you know, I, I think you can advertise that, that you have a United States men's national team player who, who's getting routine call-ups and potentially goes to the, the World Cup uh, in 2022, which is throughout this contract. So, um, I mean, if you're the Revs and you have three more years of Matt Turner, you are in no need to sell. So uh, I think Matt Doyle and Charlie Davies, uh, who, who kind of expected him to be sold uh, in, in the offseason, um, granted they didn't know this at the time, but uh, I, I don't see why the Revs would sell him unless they got an insanely huge offer. Um, not Maybe not at Zach Steffen range, but close to it, don't you think? Yeah, the, the other factor here, though, is how much Matt Turner wants to leave. And, and we don't know if, if, you know, six months from now, an offer comes in from a Premier League club and, you know, it's $3 million and Matt Turner really wants to go, um, then it's a difficult conversation for the revolution because you don't want to keep a guy that's not happy. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of set a precedent in the past with turning down offers for Taylor Twelman and Shari Joseph um, that you know didn't necessarily leave a good taste in the players' mouths. Um, so it, it's it's tough. It's very tough. I think that they're in a great situation with Matt Turner and the long-term contract, but if Matt Turner really wants to leave and we don't know how much he really wants to leave and an offer comes in from a team that he's really interested in, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough decision for the revolution to make, but certainly I would think, you know, minimum you're talking three or 4 million transfer fee. And, and those, you know, I, I kind of disagree with Julian on that. It's, you know, teams can, you know, in Europe, have an easy time finding good goalkeepers from their youth ranks or elsewhere. I, I do think that a goalkeeper of Matt Turner's quality is not that easy to find. Um, you know, I've I've watched a lot of Premier League. There are a, a lot of goalkeepers over there that aren't very good that I'm sure teams would love to replace. Um, you know, same with Bundesliga. Um, I, I, if there's an opportunity for him to go over there and play in the Premier League, and you know, hypothetically the Revolution are offered 3.5 million dollars, and Matt Turner says he really wants to go, um, then you know, Bruce Arena has a very difficult decision on his hands. Yeah, yeah, and and Julian, another thing too, you mentioned is once he uh, Matt Turner gets a cap, there'll be some more interest, which I I imagine that will uh, increase uh, interest overall. But I, I don't know. I I'm, I kind of see both sides of you know the Revs aren't in any position to sell, and I don't know. I think Matt Turner would really have to force a hand uh, to uh, make a move to Europe. But but then again, you know if a I don't know lower level. Premier League team or a lower level Bundesliga team or a mid, I guess it would be a mid table Bundesliga team comes calling and offers you, uh, as you say, three or four million. Maybe the Revs see that as selling high on a, on a guy that was undrafted coming out of Fairfield, Connecticut. So I don't know. Well, one, one thing that I actually haven't spent the time looking into that I, I wish I had before this is what, you know, it's great that he has a Lithuanian passport. That's going to make it very easy for him to go to European teams and, you know, not necessarily have the problems that Brad Friedel and, and Tim Howard did getting work permits and having to go through that process. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't actually know how Brexit is impacting the the work permit process where, you know, it's I don't think it's going to be as easy for someone with you know a, a Lithuanian passport to go to England as it might've been a year ago. But I, you know, I haven't spent the time looking into that yet, but that's, you know, something interesting to consider. Of course, it doesn't matter if he ends up going to the Bundesliga or something, but um, that's kind of another, you know, factor in the, in, in the world right now. That's, that's worth you know, looking into. And uh, Seth McComer of the Bent Musket did ask about the Lithuanian passport uh, and kind of the process about that. And, and Matt Turner kind of, you know, take it with a grain of salt, um, but he more or less said he looked into it after going undrafted and he was looking at his options and he kind of looked into his heritage and uh, applied for it after the draft, which was in 20, what, 2016, 2017. Um, I think it was, I think it was before the 2016 season. Uh, and so he said it was a three or four year process to get this Lithuanian passport. So um, he, he kind of is making it sound like it was just a, you know, uh, crazy coincidence, but um, it, it's interesting to think of that in the context of he, he was a free agent, Last year, he had signed his extension that, that takes him through 2023 this year. Um, you wonder if that passport came through, you know, in April 2019, if Matt Turner is still here. I think I think last year, you know, if he had, had a passport in hand, I, I certainly think he's making more than $200,000 as a base salary. And I, I'm sure some team would have called for him at this point. 
Well, either way, good news for the Revs, and I, I think we can kind of, uh, you know, take our hand off the panic button and put away the jump to conclusion mats uh, in terms of Matt Turner leaving. Um, I, I'm certainly confident he'll be with the Revs, at least to start 2021. Uh, Sean, before we depart, any final thoughts here today? Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, talking about facing difficult competition, I'm you know curious to see how this Revolution team does when they go against New York City FC on Wednesday. You know, another tight turnaround with not much time to, to rest between games. Um, and also, you know, another opportunity to, to see what Bruce Arena does rotation-wise, uh, because I don't think he can keep playing the same 11 guys every game in this tight schedule. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, since uh, that's been stress kind of, you know, rotation and depth and bringing in, um, you know, Mene and McNamara's depth pieces um, to kind of help out with the tight schedule. We really haven't seen any rotation. We saw Roe for, uh, coming out for Fagundes today, but for the most part, it's been mostly the same starting 11 for those the first three games. So um, it'll be interest, interesting to see um, how they go against NYCFC, a much more difficult opponent than uh, the Red Bulls tonight. Uh, my final thought here is I just want to kind of note there's been some Revs 2 games going on. A lot of fans are following Revs 2 and are very passionate about it. Great, great, need our support, great. Just want to say go easy on them. It is developmental, uh, <laughs> you know, just – Seeing a lot of uh, anger over some of these results over Revs 2 lately. They lost 4 nothing later uh, earlier today. They're going to be a bottom-of-the-table team. It's starting up this year. They're playing academy guys. Uh, just remember these are, are 17-year-old players and, you know, 16-year-old players and guys that are, you know, at the college level right now. Um, you're you're going to see a lot of mistakes. You're going to see a lot of frustrating things uh, from these, these young players, and they're going to make a lot of mistakes. So just a quick grain of salt, um, you know, don't hold them to the same standards as Revs 1. And uh, I will also say if a player from Denmark uh, leaves the team, uh, you know, if a 19-year-old guy from Denmark uh, leaves the team to go home to his family, um, you know, because he doesn't want to play third-tier soccer in America during a pandemic, you know, don't frame that as a temper tantrum. I just I just say that. I, I think that's a bit <laughs> of a, um uncalled-for shot at a child. So, anyway... Uh, Sean, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Sean L. Donahue. And you can follow us at Revolution Recap. I do not know when we will be doing our next podcast. We did not plan this again. Uh, but the Revs play Wednesday at, uh, not at NYCFC. They play home against NYCFC on Wednesday at 8 p.m. And then they also play, they're on the road for Chicago Sunday night at 7.30. Maybe we will be doing a post-game podcast of that. I'm not totally sure yet. Either way, we'll, we'll figure out something uh, until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.